Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Colin. And I'm Jamie. Three of us here, an Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit of a sad day, really. I mean, we're recording this on Sunday. We'd left recording this podcast for 24 hours because we kind of expected there was going to be some news. And today has been confirmed that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no longer the manager of Manchester United Football Club. I mean, I think we kind of expected this yesterday anyway. There were so many signs at the end of what was a bad, another bad day. Uh, And, you know, it's one thing to lose to Manchester City. It's one thing to lose to Liverpool. But to lose to Watford and make them look like some kind of peak Real Madrid is a whole other thing. Um, But, yeah, the news was confirmed today. I know, Colm, you hosted a pod after Liverpool where, and Jamie, you were on that one as well, where even that day you thought it could have been called then. And then I know after the Manchester City, we thought it might have been called then, but today is actually finally confirmed. I mean, yeah, how, how, how do you finally feel about that announcement now today? It's, it's a really odd day, isn't it? Because um, after the game, I was very much vociferous in my feelings that it should happen. But I was also kind of frustrated because I had this weird feeling that it might not still, you know, it became pretty obvious pretty quick. But for a little while, I was like, well, it didn't happen, you know. I thought Leicester was pretty bad, then Liverpool, then City, you know, Atalanta, all these games, and we just kept doing the same things over and over again. I I just thought, you know, I can't believe they're still not pulling the trigger with the international break. Um, I was obviously very much on the Conte train, so that was a big frustration for me as well. So I had a lot of, like, built up. Um, I felt it was overdue, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, that's, that's where my head was at. So I was very kind of frustrated thinking that they might still not do this. They might just be committing to this for the year with Ole as a kind of a caretaker even though he's not the caretaker kind of situation, um, which I don't think would have been acceptable. Having said that, as soon as the leaks did come and then the, the actual decision this morning, you know, it does a total 180 because the thing that you, w- yes, you want to have happen 
want is the wrong word, I suppose, uh, or just has to be tempered with, uh, I suppose, a more holistic view, you know, because yes, I absolutely wanted him gone. But when you're actually confronted with the reality of that, that it's quite sad and um, it's quite a bummer. It, it doesn't make me happy the way, <laughs> you know, the sacking of Mourinho made me happy. It's a very, very different feeling. Um, I think it is absolutely for the best. I'm glad it's been done. I also don't think it's been done in the worst way imaginable, although I was frustrated that it took them this long. Um, but the other big takeaway is that there's really a lot of crass and uh, very unsavory views coming out and takes around Ole. Um, and I don't know if kind of the last you know three months is just so much clouding people and there's so much frustration built up. They just have to be a little bit vile still. But I find that very, very poor form, I have to say. So I think like the best way to open the pod is to say that Anyone who doesn't think that Ole did a good job at Manchester United in his three years is not looking at things objectively. I think even though it's completely gone off the wheels um, this year and didn't end you know, last year too well, you know, I think you still have to look at the full three years and, and be really pleased. And I just can't imagine how anyone is watching that, you know, uh, quote-unquote PR exercise interview and having anything but love for Ole. I just, I just, that just boggles my mind, Nick. Yeah, and I think, you know, this does tie into a lot of things about social media and things online and people posting things that maybe they wouldn't say if they were actually sat in person. Uh, but yeah, there is a toxic kind of portion of our fan base for sure. Uh, you know, it's something that's annoyed me previously about Ole not getting enough respect for the job he did. And like, you know, like you say now, even now it's finished badly. It's not gone how we wanted this season. But, uh, you know, for a couple of years, things were going pretty well. And I think people start trying to rewrite history. To be fair, I think today I've seen a lot more kind of respectful comments, a lot more people being calm. Yesterday, I think people were still a bit emotional because it was another awful game, to be fair. Uh, And, you know, in the kind of heat of those matches, people, you know, do come out with a lot of things. But, yeah, you know. And, and, you know, there's, there's an element, you know, if you want to tear strips off Ole for his managerial performance particularly this year have at it I'll be right behind you to be honest you know if you want to objectively criticize him in a very uh open and an outright way and be be pretty firm in that criticism and say he's been diabolical etc I, I wouldn't disagree with you if you're talking about this year and the elements of last year it's when it descends into the the personal you know and the the kind of unnecessary and, and those are the little bits that I'm seeing that I just think are you know, that he's just wanting to pay off and money and, you know, just slagging him off and stuff like that. And I just think for, for the kind of man that he is, A, in terms of our history and B, in terms of the job he's done, but also just the the manner that he's conducted himself with throughout his tenure, I just don't understand how you can how you can be uh, be going at him that way, you know. But, you know, objective criticism, 100%, because I'm, I'm right there with you on that one, like, you know. Yeah, and, you know, even me as the, of the biggest Ole supporter on the pod, I've there's been a lot of criticism and he deserves criticism. There's been mistakes made, wrong decisions. And, uh, you know, we will go into that a bit more because, you know, one of the big questions we will focus on this podcast is where has it all gone wrong? Because I think, you know, all of us at the start of this season had pretty good expectations. You know, we after coming second, having a good summer transfer window. I mean, I can't remember exactly, Jamie, but what, where, what was your prediction for where we were going to come this season um i said absolutely top two or three but the expectation was have a title challenge but not necessarily win it but certainly build upon the good season we had last season because for whatever anybody wants to say it was a good season in the league we finished well off man city yeah but 
we weren't the best of the rest. We had the foundations of a good squad, so with the additions that was made in the summer, you did expect, right, we're going to push on now, and if that is, say, a title challenge all the way to May, and at least put pressure upon those that were going to win, if that ended up happening, I would have been happy with that. I would have saw that as progress and said, right, there's a clear indication that we've moved forward again and built upon last season. And in addition to that, you wanted to see us reach the latter stages of the Champions League. Again, not not a demand to win it because that's just not a realistic expectation, but certainly get to the latter stages of the Champions League. Certainly make a good run in one of the cup competitions as well because we have done well in that respect under Raleigh. We've made semi-finals and we've made finals and you just wanted to see us kind of make that final step and actually win one of these trophies but I would have been happy with that and just to kind of go back on what Colm was saying about the personal stuff that that's the stuff that's annoyed me because you can say what you want about Ollie in terms of like decisions he's made in games and we've sat and done it over the last couple of weeks when we've reviewed the Liverpool game the Man City game the Aston Villa game there's things he's made there's decisions he's made there's selections he's made that we all disagree with and that's absolutely fine because you can criticise the manager for that that's that's part and parcel of it it's when you see all the stuff that starts getting personal and starts getting just pretty scathing of it and it just turns you off to all the noise on social media because it, it, it's, it's just outrageous really and it is right that that decision had to be made um, it is late, I do think it is well past when it should have happened but it's not to say I was desperate to see it happen and I was buzzing to see it happen I was pretty gutted when the news came through as well because you are just a bit like well, we did really want him to succeed because he's a United man through and through Ollie so you wanted to see him succeed so having the news confirmed it wasn't like a joyous thing at all it was just just sad all round, really, that it hasn't worked out and and that's him left. Yeah, that's the thing for me. I, I already said this, actually, on the last podcast. I said after the Liverpool game, you know, I kind of felt angry. But after the Manchester City game, it was more a feeling of kind of sadness because I knew by that time that this is pretty much over. And even for me, I was kind of surprised that the call wasn't made at that point and that he's come through the international break and still been given another game. There was still like some people I know who were still saying, look, he should have this other run of games that maybe look slightly easier on paper. And, you know, if you get a win against Watford, if you go and beat Villarreal and end up qualifying in the Champions League, things maybe look a bit different. But look, it hasn't gone that way. Uh, you know, not we're not going to spend a great deal of time talking about the match yesterday. But yeah, we are going to have to cover it briefly. I mean, yeah, it's Ole's last game in charge. Um, he's come in. He's put out a very similar lineup that he's put out time and time again. There's a couple of changes and they're more forced out of kind of injury. You know, Mason Greenwood at the end of the coronavirus. A couple of people were not fully fit. So, yeah, it's the same players. And that's... You know, one of the big questions we'll keep saying is where did it all go wrong this season? And I said already on the last podcast for me, the big lacking thing on Oli has been about squad rotation, has been about game management and being too loyal to certain players, even when they're off form and picking them again and again and again. And in the end, you know, in the run up to this game, there was a lot of focus on Harry Maguire. 
who scored a goal for England, a couple of goals for England midweek and kind of celebrated as if he was like proving his doubters wrong. But then, you know, in this game, his red card was kind of the final nail in the coffin, basically. Uh, you know, we had an awful, awful first half going down 2-0, despite David De Gea managing to save two penalties. You know, remember the time when David De Gea hadn't saved a penalty for years and years and years. Uh, we still managed to go in 2-0. But yeah, we came out, looked like there might have been some fight in it. I know in our uh, Discord match day chat, Oshwin said, oh my God, these bastards are going to win again, aren't they? Uh, and he was just saying, look, we've just been through this so many times. We're almost tired of it. But yeah, Maguire makes an awful, awful error, gets sent off. And ultimately, that's the last kind of moment that finishes everything for Ole. Uh, I mean, Com, when we came out in that second half yesterday, did you think, that, look, we're still going to have a chance here. If we win here, Ole's still going to go on again? I mean, at 2-1, I thought that a, a draw or win was more likely than not. You know, and I was not enthused about that, Nick. Really, to be honest, I, I shared Ashwin's concerns over what that would mean uh, long term because truly it was awful. You know, it was just awful. There, You know, it, it comes to a point where it doesn't matter what happens in any of these second halves. We could, we could score eight in the second half. If you can always start the same way and always be so bad and look so disorganized and so uncompetitive, so outworked, and so pressurised, like we could not string three passes together against Watford. And their press was, you know, average, essentially, you know, and Tom Cleverly was running the show. It was like a, an alternate universe. It was, it, it just beggared belief that those two sets of players could go out and have that kind of game because it just, it, it just shouldn't really be allowed to happen. And to me, there was no salve for that in the second half whatsoever, you know, um, Again, we score a really nice goal. You know, I I really liked the goal. I thought it was really well worked, really well played by Ronaldo, who missed tons of chances on the other side. Um, great to see Donny Van Der Beek um involved and have an extremely good game. But you were kind of hoping for individual players to do well, just to kind of show what they're about. And I think when you're you're into that kind of mindset, it's not a healthy one. And no, the second half for me, although we did play a little better I think you know you're playing Watford at the end of the day you know if you don't come out in the second half and put a bit of pressure on I, I just don't know how that could even happen as well although nothing really United at the moment would surprise me so much as the the complete lack of form for essentially all of our players but I mean Maguire is a huge question now in terms of how this moves forward I wouldn't expect any interim manager to make any big calls around that and um, whether it's going to be you know Carrick or whoever but um I would expect possibly some changes if we if we install someone a bit more detached from United or next year because he has just been in rotten form all year. You know, he's been totally shown up by Varane in terms of quality. He looks completely, I think, um, under pressure in every game from basically the first minute. We're not playing the ball out from the back whatsoever. He's not walking it out at all. He's not really adding any value to our play and he's consistently making mistakes and putting us in dangerous positions. And... You know, it was all over that game. The penalties, you know, when the penalties were being decided and there was that encroachment and he was appealing to the ref, I was just looking at him like he was appealing like a child. Like he was flapping his arms and his sort of stupid face was just kind of gurning at the ref. And I was just like, you just look like a stroppy child right now. And I just, again, was like, is this, has this just all been a bit too much for you? I still think he's a good player. I, I, I wouldn't think it's, you know, 
yes, we paid too much. I don't think he's a waste at United by any stretch of imagination. I think he has shown extremely good form for us and can be a better player for us. But at the moment, he is in such a rut, and I don't think the captaincy is helping him at all. Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole Maguire question is very interesting because, you know, even right to the end, Ole has been absolutely loyal to him. Even after he's got the red card, he's walking off. High five. He he gives him a high five going off the pitch. And it just shows that Ole is absolutely loyal to a fault. And it is ultimately, that is his downfall. And it's not just Maguire. There's Shaw, Wan-Bissaka. Even Bruno has been nowhere near on form like for a few months now. Whereas, you know, when this player sat on the bench, we're not getting a chance. Um, but yeah, at the same time, like I say, at now stops people totally questioning Maguire. And last season, he also had a crisis. Remember after he went off into prison in Greece, he came back, mm-hmm. he had a bad run of form, he got sent off for England, and people again started saying, he can't be the captain, he needs to be dropped. Ole stuck by him, and he actually did come through it and ended up having a really good season. Uh, starred for England in the Euros as well. Ended up in the Euros team of the tournament. So look, you know, people now start saying, oh, he needs to be sold. He's not good enough. He is still a good player. The biggest issue is you can go back to that Leicester game in particular where he was rushed back from injury, had an absolute nightmare. And since that day, he's been average at best and awful a lot of the time. Uh, So, yeah, as I say, look, Ole is stuck loyal with players like that. And even pre-match Watford, he was talking about it and he said, no, you know, this is the player. He's a Manchester United player. So, yeah, he's lived by that sword. And at the end, that's what he's going to be falling on. Uh, I mean, it's funny this game because there's two big things. The One is the Maguire thing, obviously. And then the other is all about Donny van der Beek, who's been a constant story, constantly people waiting for him to play. He actually had more chances last season than he has done this season. Finally, you know, he's featured a sub a couple of times recently. And Jamie, I know you've been wanting to see a lot more of him. Comes on at half time and he was an absolute breath of fresh air. I mean, he changed our game completely. You could see him picking out the kind of passes for people like Ronaldo and whatever that you will never see the likes of McTominay or Fred pick out. Uh, and as well, like even defensively, I thought he was doing a decent job. And it will go down in the record books that the last goal of Ole's reign was scored by Donny van der Beek. Um, and yeah, it's just an ironic thing over here. I mean, Jamie, I mean, do you think that, yeah, Donny should now, he's going to be coming into the team under Carrick and things like that? We, you know, we should say, of course, that Michael Carrick is confirmed that he will be in charge at least for one match where the club say they're looking for more of a kind of long-term interim option. We don't know how long that will go for. At the moment, the bookies actually have Michael Carrick as favourite to be so-called our permanent manager, which by bookies' terms, I think is something like 12 matches. Uh, so they think he's going to be sticking around more than just the next kind of game or two. Uh, I mean, Jamie, yeah, Donny van der Beek comes in, scores that goal. That's all what we've been waiting for, right? Yeah, I thought he was he was really good from the moment he came on second half yesterday. I mean, he comes on and as Colm says, it's a lovely goal that we scored. It's a great ball in by Sancho and even Sancho, I thought he played well yesterday as well and kind of just showed what he can do on the right-hand side, beats his man, puts a really good cross in. Ronaldo reads the situation well because that's what Van de Beek does. I mean, when you've seen him play for Ajax, especially in that Champions League run that they went on, that that type of goal is the goal he scored over and over again for Ajax where 
the movement happens in front of him. He reads the he reads what's going to happen, and he just moves that little bit sharper than everybody else. And sure enough, ends up in literally a free position at the back post. Ronaldo's header is excellent, just straight back across to him, and he's got a tap in. But the reason he's got a tap in is just because he's he's a clever player. He's a very smart player. He reads what's going to happen. So from a from the offensive point of view and scoring, that was really good. As you referenced, Nick, there was the pass he put through for Ronaldo should score, really, the one-on-one with Foster. is yeah. a good save by Foster, but it, it, Ronaldo should score. But the pass is excellent. It just splits the lines. Ronaldo doesn't even need to touch the ball. He just goes after the ball and hits it. And as you said, no, no one else in our midfield, really, apart from maybe Matic, plays that pass. Like Nobody plays that pass. Defensively, he covers the ground. He gets back and supports. He doesn't give up. He tries hard. So... Even off that 45 minutes alone, yes, yeah, yesterday, he should not be moved out of that team. No chance. But, you know, one of the things I think about this is kind of, and this is how ridiculous the, the situation has come, he shouldn't have to prove anything, really. He should just oh, be yeah. a, a rotation option. It shouldn't even be this big... Con- Obviously, it is now because he's been so, you know, um, left to rot, essentially. But he shouldn't have to, you know, come on and have to score yeah, exactly, a goal yeah. or whatever to get any minutes whatsoever. And it just touches back to this... You know, ultimate one of the ultimate downfalls of of Ole, which is that he just has not used his his much and in, much increased quality squad this yeah. year. It just hasn't happened, and there's you know for me the the end product of that is harming in so many different ways because you then have players in in Ole's favourites who have no you know need to really prove themselves to really go hard to really you know feel that you know breath down the back of their neck of some other player. And then secondly, the players who are sitting out just think it's not a meritocracy. There's nothing I can do here objectively that will get me in this team. This is not based on merit. This is not based on training. This is not based on... It's just based on his appraisal of all his players at one point in time, regardless of their form. And then the third thing is, within the team then, how can that be a good culture, you know, for those those players to kind of gel and bond together and kind of need to rely on each other and, and know, know what can be done and what can't be done? So that that is just boggling. And it's, for me... It's been one of the biggest, biggest factors, and it's so typified by Donny van der Beek. But I don't think he's the only oh, he one. Isn't. You know, I really don't think he's the only one. I can yeah. point, I can point to Lingard, I can point to Dallo, I can point to centre backs by you know people who are just out of form, getting or indeed injured, as Nick point you know pointed out, just getting played and played and played and played, and it's just not not how the club will ever succeed. I don't think. Um, you know, I think. You could maybe point at Liverpool, who have had great success with a very small squad and not really relied on their bench. Although they didn't really, I don't think they've ever had the strength in the bench. You know, it's very different when it's Origi who wants minutes compared to you know Donny Van der Beek from Ajax or Jadon Sancho from Dortmund or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So I really don't think you could point to any team that is is thriving that way. Um, so you know, so disappointing. But it was cool, like to see him come on and he was like jeeing up the fans afterwards. He was throwing his arms around and stuff like that and. Shaw came out midweek and kind of spoke highly of how he trains and, and, and what his attitude's been like in a very difficult situation, which is awkward as well, you know. But it'll be interesting to see. I really don't think Carrick will rock the boat. I think that's going to be a bit of an Ole 2.0 in terms of formations and team selections. So uh, I think it might get uh, back to normal for Donny before it gets any better. You see, just, like, just quickly though, sorry, on the centre-halves, that, that's the one that's really annoyed me because I totally agree with you, Nick, when you said so... We played Leicester, Maguire had been out injured. The immediate thing that happens because he's had one training session is Maguire's put immediately back in the team. You could see after the first half, Maguire wasn't fit. Just, if, if you just watch the game, 
that first 45 minutes, you could just see he wasn't fit. And it isn't just the thing about his selections, all the in-game management, I've spoke about it before on the pod, he, he, he's not quick enough sometimes to see what's happening in front of him and then act upon it. So that Leicester game, he should have seen after 45 minutes, Maguire wasn't fit, he was at fault for two goals, and he should have just subbed them. And I know, obviously, if you change at centre-half, centre-half's probably the hardest position on the pitch to make a change at half-time, I appreciate that. But when he was so out of form and still wasn't fit, he should have just made that hard decision and said, I've got Bailly on the bench, he's played really well, I think it was just the game before he played really well, still plays for the Ivory Coast. Put him on for 45 minutes and at the end of the game we end up losing anyway, quite heavily. So it wouldn't have mattered in terms of if you put Bailly on and then we'd lose. At the very least, we might have put him on and then that would have yeah, been Yeah, but I end. don't think even we would have lost because all the goals that yeah. day were down yeah, exactly. to Harry Maguire. <laughs> that, that's that's, that's uh, kind of the point. But yeah, look, like I say, you can link a lot of it all the way back to that where the rot really started. You know, even if we didn't have the best... I mean, the real start to the season was brilliant. Look at Leeds. Uh, there was that Southampton game in the middle. Then that Newcastle Ronaldo's debut. We started the season on fire. And then, yeah, there was a couple of games in the middle that weren't that great. But it was that Leicester game where then really the pressure started. Uh, I have to say, Nick, I have to say, that's maybe when the pressure came up, but the writing was on the wall pretty much after those three fixtures. And there was a good six fixtures before the Leicester game then. You know, I really think Wolves, there was lots of games, the West Ham game that we lost. We hadn't played well, and I I agree. We hadn't played well. And equally, our our start of the season was favourable. So you were looking at that point. And yes, we were were kind of hanging around third and fourth. easy start on paper. But and it was easy to look at and go, look, we're still in touching distance here. You know, we're still third or fourth. But all the other teams had played City, Arsenal, Chelsea. You know, they played their tough, tough fixtures. And then exactly what we would have anticipated happening happened in that when we went into those hard run of fixtures, we were completely found out at that point because, and this is like the phrase of the season, the cracks had been merely papered over and they were brutally exposed that the paint job was not very good whatsoever in those games. And I think it's like, what? Jamie, did you say it was like four points out of 21 is our current run? Yeah, like, it's just terrible. It's just bizarre. The one thing I would say is, like, how bad is our back six against Watford? Like, that, they were they were just, they could score 10. They were yeah. dicing us apart. And, like, yes, I think Ole has, in a sense, lost the dressing room, not in a Mourinho, you know, virus kind of way, but just in a, in a not getting enough out of them and not setting them up well enough where they've just, they just become, lost faith, you know, haven't bit, they? That was you know, it lackadaisical yeah. and, and, and just sunk into this kind of malaise of not understanding why nothing's working but also not really being able to fix it but I mean it's 50-50 like the players have a huge amount to blame the quality in that team you know to go out and show so little effort and be so wide open fullbacks just out of position all the time centre-backs last ditch playing this high line whatever midfield pairing we seem to choose whether it's Maddox McTominay Fred McTominay Pog was obviously out just leaky as a sieve and then getting really very little you know defensive input from the forwards we choose I say we choose because there's maybe a lesson there that we shouldn't necessarily choose that kind of front three all the time if we're so bad at defending otherwise but I mean it's just gone it's gone as horribly wrong as it possibly could but the players have to take and I know they've kind of a lot of the players have I mean De Gea gave a good interview Bruno was you know pointing at the players when Ole was uh, clapping the away fans and stuff like that yeah post-match um, the players yeah, will be aware of that you know the players will be aware of that you know and, and it's not to just put it all on Ole although I think that is ultimately where the buck stops and you know it's his kind of almost over-friendliness over-loyalty strict adherence to this set fit, you know formation and players 
that has ultimately created this culture of 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 a lack of of winning mentality really of a lack of urgency of a lack of um, belief or, or whatever it is that's that's kind of causing our current form so whilst the players take a lot of blame i still think it ultimately all comes back to him and his staff anyway you know yeah, I mean, like, and that is the the big question for me constantly is where, how has it gone so badly wrong? Because I know even, and you know, Colm, over like a couple of years, we've had a lot of Ole and Ole out debates, different uh, discussions about the coaching and whatever. But you've got to say that this season, it's been a shock at how bad we could get. Even if you say, you know, there was cracks and things were coming. Nobody ever saw this getting so bad so quickly. And, uh, you know, I say my biggest reason is goes down to kind of rotation and not mixing it up. I mean, I don't know. There's other, there was a quite a good discussion I saw on Red Cafe about this. And, you know, other people talk about Ronaldo coming in and kind of not being part of the plan and messing up the system. Then there's also talk about kind of maybe Ole tried to change to a more progressive system this year. Uh, you know, in the past, we had a lot of success with being quite defensive hitting teams on a fast transition and maybe he wanted to move on to that towards dominating and controlling games and it's not worked out. I mean, where in that, you know, I don't know if there's one of those factors that you think is the main one. I think, you know, it it definitely won't be one of them. I think there's a whole host of things, but there's a lot of very interesting stuff in there. Firstly, I think Ronaldo's been our best player this year, to be quite honest. And if you don't know what you're getting with Ronaldo, you shouldn't be surprised for any of his performances. He has got the goals, he's got the assists, he's looked dangerous. And, and, and I leave that there. The team you pick around him then is instrumental in how you're going to play. And I totally agree. I really think what this is exposed with Ole is that there was a time, you know, and it goes back to having players like Pereira, Lingard, that really weren't up to the standard of United. And at that point, he was excluding those players and picking the same 11. And we were really the dogged kind of underdog, overperforming, scrappy-do kind of performances that really were very endearing, quite successful in many ways. And ultimately you know, not what anyone really wants for Manchester United. So now we really have built a very good squad on paper with with really one glaring issue, but still a very, very good squad. And the onus is then on Ole and his staff to play a different kind of way because I don't think the players in that dressing room want to play like that, you know. The players, Rafa Varane does not want to sit in in a back seven and, and defend for their lives, you know. Ronaldo does not want to get zero service throughout a game, you know. So there's a demand now with the kind of players that we have to play a certain way. And I think as a combination of both coaching and selection, which are the two key things, it has exposed either Ole or Ole's staff or a combination of the two as being unable to do that at a top club. And that's not the worst thing in the world, but I think it's really well evidenced at the moment because we've gone to this higher line, which I think has been an absolute disaster. Maybe if Ferran had been fit for the whole year, it would have been different. But I think with the issues in midfield, it would have still been an issue. Um, our fullbacks don't seem to be getting it on either side of the ball in terms of what they're adding to the game attack-wise, and they're leaving glaring, glaring holes. I mean, the, the XG for this season, we lose every single game because we give up such easy chances on the break. We are so porous, and so many average teams find it so easy to exploit our back six, basically. And then I think the front three have been okay in a in a kind of producing moments magic, but it's never been cohesive. He's never really understood who needs to play where. I think Sancho should have started from the right and stayed there. I think there was too much messing around. I appreciate Rashford was injured at the start, but I just think there's been mistakes made there. And, you know, I also think Cavani not being fit has had a big impact. I think he's really transformative in terms of doing the work for this team because there's simply not enough work in this team whatsoever. And that's a big issue. But, you know, it's all those things, but they're all like one after the other. And I don't think they're tip 
you know, super complicated things. I think it's pretty obvious when people watch us what the problems are. And I think other teams know exactly how to play against us. And that's why everyone seems to repeat the exact same kind of form- performance that really gets a lot of success. Yeah, I mean, one thing for me, though, with a lot of those things you say, a lot of the same players did play much better last season than they have obviously done this season. I mean, even if we discount Varane, who was not there last year, Cavani was mostly a bit part player last season, even though he did come in a lot kind of in the running. Uh, So, you know, they weren't like players who we had last season when we were playing a lot better. Even if we did have defensive issues, it wasn't anywhere near as bad as it's been this time round. And, you know, that, you know, like I said, there's a good discussion on Red Cafe over why has our defence been so bad this season? And for me, like I say, I still link it back to players like specifically Maguire Shaw having played too many games, coming straight in from a Euros with no rest, no rotation, and just being, yeah, mentally tired. Also, yeah, being bought, you know, we had to talk about players coming back from injury. Even in this Watford lineup, there was McTominay, Shaw, and Rashford, none of whom who went off on international duty because we're all either injured or ill and are all straight back in the lineup. Like, can any of them be 100%? If they've not gone on international duty, then surely there was some kind of issue there. Uh, For sure, and Rashford and Shaw definitely only came back into training in the last day or two, whereas maybe McTominay was there for most of the time. So, yeah, look, I mean, and, 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 you know, we don't forget, I always like to look at what our old players are doing. And, you know, this was a Watford team that had four players that we deemed surplus to requirements about a decade ago. Uh, yeah. You know, three players actually are from the Manchester United Academy in uh, Cathcart, Josh King and Tom Cleverley. And they've got Ben Foster in net as well. So, yeah, it's the greatness. Know. It's the greatness of Fergie. We just cannot get out <laughs> from underneath a Fergie shadow, even, te- you know, 10, 15 years after retirement. His, you know, products of the academy that he, you know, fostered and found great, you know, Premier League careers for, which was always one of his stated missions. You know, that if players come through United Academy, they don't, you know, a very small percentage of them play for United but we get them all good Premier League careers and he's managed to arrange a team for Watford that is seemingly better than our star studded you know first 11 it's just crazy I mean look let's talk about the other options now who's coming in we know that Michael Carrick is taking over temporary charge the clubs say they're looking for another interim option to take us to the end of the season at least if not somebody permanent uh, I mean reading between the lines and from things I've heard from what I understand was that kind of after the Liverpool game, the club started thinking about who might come in and who might be other options. And it was only really after the City game that it really started ramping that up and maybe started putting out feelers. And then, you know, this Watford, I think they weren't in that panic. They thought, listen, they're starting to look at other options, seeing who might be available, who's the number one option. Maybe they're not going to go to summer. And they might have even been willing to let Ole go to the end of the season if they didn't think their number one options were available. But then, you know, the form was got so bad that they had no option but to make that change. Carrick comes in. As I say, if we look at the betting, Michael Carrick is currently number one. And that's kind of just, you know, the law of being, uh, you know, nine-tenths of being in possession. Um, Number two is still kind of joint. There's like Rodgers and Zidane. I mean, I said on the last show that I do not want Brendan Rodgers anywhere near this club. Uh, Most of the other options I see linked with those, I think are kind of interesting I know, Jamie, you said Ten yep. Hag is your favourite. I mean, Colm, yeah, you weren't on the last one. Who's your number one option? Um, it would be Ten Hag for me in the summer is my is my preferred option, I think, of the names I've heard. And I yeah. can't, I 
I can't doubt Zidane's pedigree, but I just have a very uneasy feeling. I also just want us to wait to the summer. And I was kind of encouraged by quite a confusing Manchester United statement saying, you know, Michael Carrick will take charge until we find an interim manager till the summer where we will reassess or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So it looked like they're giving it to Carrick, looking for someone to come in, but strictly for that six months and then looking at it again, which I think is sensible, but it's just a bit complicated. And I think there's very real danger of someone coming in for six months who's not your first pick, but they do a half a good job and we end up with them. And then we lose the leg of a Ten Hag to some other team as we have lost Guardiola, Klopp, whatever, you know, other generational potentially managers. Um, so I would just like us to take a minute basically and, and wait it out to the summer. And I am sort of writing off the season in that regard. I was just saying the statement really annoyed me because, and, and I know it's been said on this podcast, like some people don't agree with like, like I think you're one of them next saying, we shouldn't have contingency plans. You shouldn't be planning for the eventuality that you sack your manager, especially if you're playing well. I'm not saying that you have a cut and dried statement privately saying, we are going to sign X if Solskjaer is sacked. But you still should be planning for who you want or who you would like or the character of the person you would like if the unthinkable happens. So, if that's true, that they only started looking after the Liverpool game, that's really poor, in my opinion, because we weren't playing very well at all before that, and I know Ollie could have turned it round again, we could have played better, but as Colm said earlier, the writing was on the wall. It's been on the wall most of the season. So, just kind of doing it off the back of the Liverpool game and, and then even at that point supposedly only just putting the feelers out and it's only after the Man City game where they've played us off the park that they then seriously start thinking alright we actually are going to have to seriously think about changing the manager why piss about for two weeks in the international break literally two other teams in the Premier League saw the writing on the wall and just decided, no, we need to sack the manager, get somebody in. They could have 10 days training and take three? take the next... Three? Yeah. Take they the next got game. And got a job. Yeah. They can take the next... They can take the next game. And I don't understand this thing about, like... I agree with Corbyn when I say 10 Hag because I just know for a fact he didn't come right now. But if Man United aren't thinking it's 10 Hag, if they think it's whoever... I don't understand why other clubs like Aston Villa can go to Rangers and just say, we'll take Steven Gerrard. That, right, I know people will take the mick out of the Scottish League and that, whatever. But still, they identified who they wanted and they went and got him. The job, it was done in four days. Because on the Monday up here in Scotland, there wasn't even any news that he was going anywhere. Four days later, he was signed and he was at Villa. So this thing that we, we're going to assess and wait to the summer, fine. If you know that you privately want Pochettino, but to then make the decision that you sack Solskjaer and a statement comes out saying, yeah, we're going to give it to Michael Carrick. He's going to be in charge for however long. We then want an interim manager to take charge for the next six months because we're then going to then make another decision in the summer. Michael Carrick, by the way, is part of the problem. Solskjaer isn't the only person who's at fault here, as Combs pointed out. The coaching is one of the principal reasons we're in this that were in this rut. So just to sack Solskjaer and then suddenly just decide yeah. Michael Carrick's taking charge, McKenna's still there, Mick <coughs> Phelan's still there, Dan Fletcher's going to be involved. It, it's clueless. 
And that's why when you looked at that statement this morning, in addition to the fact that you thought Solskjaer wasn't up to it, needed, yeah. needed to be relieved of his duties, fine. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But to the NC, the other coaches that were with him are still there, is mental. And that screams to me, by the way, that if Michael Carrick's been told that, that screams to me that whoever's getting the job next, whether the interim manager comes in, does really well to the summer and then gets the job, or we're waiting until the summer to appoint a manager. This Michael Carrick thing screams to me, whoever's coming in next has to accept that maybe a combination of Carrick and McKenna, or one of them, is going to have to be accepted to be on the coaching staff of the next manager. Yeah, I think uh, all, all, all good points well made. Also, listeners, Jimmy's a Rangers fan, which I don't know if that came across in a lot of his anger around the Gerrard move, but there might be a, li- a little bit of that coming in as well. But no, I completely agree. Although the one thing I would say is we simply don't really know as fans what the process is behind closed doors in the Manchester United boardroom. Now, we probably have quite a lot of evidence to suggest it's not as slick an operation as possibly Aston Villa are running, um, but we simply don't know. It could be the case in point that they've gone and tapped up Pochettino or Ten Hag or whatever, and they believe they have a, a semi-firm answer, you know, for the summer and that they're then, you know, just waiting it out essentially. But similarly, there's no indication that that is the case either. So I, I do agree it's kind of troublesome. I agree, Jamie. I, I want to see the next manager, and I don't mind if it's in the summer, as I say, and I'm quite happy just to have a punt this year, let the players figure it out, you know, do the Michael Carrick mystery tour. You know, it's fine for me at the end of the day because I think it's it's irretrievable anyway. I do not see us doing damage in the Champions League and, and top four is about the best I would ever hope for. But I just want there to be a good plan in place, and I think that's probably what the club are. Just, you know, they've shown hesitancy in sacking Ole, so they're clearly kind of taking this, slightly different approach than we've seen from the board previously slightly maybe more long term more planned more thoughtful and um, if you could call it that that's maybe being extremely generous to them but that could be the indication but one thing i am also adamant about is i want whatever manager comes in brings his own staff you know this 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 united people you know and you know maybe mckenna's great and, and maybe character's great but it hasn't worked it has not worked and they're instrumental you know there's reports that only doesn't really take the sessions which is clearly a big part of the issue as well so you know where's where is the respect there where's the fear where's i think we just need a change as well it's not it's not to say they're horrendous to the jobs i'm sure they're not but the product is it hasn't worked and therefore there really is no loyalty deserved there and simply not loyalty based on the fact that they used to play for manchester united because that is not proving to be a very good recipe for us you know bring conte in with all his staff you know that one for me is the one that still really rankles. You know, I I just can't imagine he's not going to improve Spurs. I think he's called to Spurs as a bit of a, you know, middle finger to us, basically, to conclude that deal so quickly because all the talk was he was super interested in United. He clearly saw that Ole was about to get sacked and we either said no or diddled and sucked our thumb. So he said, well, there's a job open for me here. I'm going to go. And now he's above us in the league and might stay there for a fair while. I would not be surprised. And I think he was the best option out there at the moment, currently available. If we wait and get Ten Hag in the summer and he's a generational manager, happy days, no bother. Do we trust our board to deliver that for us? Is that even a possibility? Does he even want to come here? But, you know, that's big doubts around that, Nick, for me. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so many issues around all this. And I mean, I I don't agree with all of those points there. Um, I mean, one thing I do agree with, and I said it after the City game, that for me, that was the time to change 
and you know would have given somebody the international break to come and deal with things and that i totally agree with i think you know it's gone a couple of weeks too long but for me that was the only point i was ready for the change was after city uh i mean if we just quickly touch on conte Cole, i do kind of understand that but when you look at a lot of the polls, the vast majority of our fans did not want Conte either. I mean, if we Why? look over... Why? It's interesting. I mean, hey, look... He went, I, he, went, I, he, went Juve, he went to Juve, turned him around, won the league. Listen, went to Chelsea, turned him around, won the league. Record. I went think to some Inter, people, turned him around, won the league. Like, I, I think uh, the what? media have portrayed him as kind of like Jose Mourinho Martin. too, and he's not. That's totally inaccurate. You know, that's it, just a... It, that, there that is, is some absolutely a media narrative. There is some similarities yeah, in the type of character and whatever. In, uh, in the same way there is between Thomas Tuchel and would we take him? Oh yeah, we would. You know, he 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 fell out with people at Dortmund. He fell out with people at PSG. He has a defensive-minded system. He plays five at the back, and he's currently absolutely smashing word football in the most easy-looking way with a squad that really, on paper, is very similar to ours, if a bit better in the defense and the midfield. I will credit, but you know, you could literally Tuchel fell out with everyone at Dortmund at the end fell out with everyone at PSG at the end and you could make any amount of comparison between him and Mourinho it's so it's such a it's such a limited way of looking at things it's so it's it, as you say it's a narrative it's a media thing it's just an easy thing to toss up and say oh that'll go wrong because that and it's not borne out it's not borne out at all I think it's pretty clear anyway that Conte really did want our job and quite clearly we gave him no encouragement whether they just said we're not interested or we're just not ready yet. I don't know. But it was quite clear that he made a play for our job and was given no encouragement either way from our board, which is why he said, look, I'm not going to sit around waiting. I went and took the Tottenham job. So, yeah, there's no point in crying over spilt milk. He's gone. Uh, as I said, at the moment, every poll, we did a poll on our Twitter. It was 55% Ten Hag. There's a big poll on Red Cafe, which is somewhere around similar numbers. Uh, number two option tends to be Zinedine Zidane. A lot of that is because he is available. I think if the club wanted to bring in an immediate permanent option, then it would surely be him. And there is media talk about the club have made a play for him. But a lot of things suggest that he is not interested in coming to the Premier League. He doesn't speak English. He's only ever managed within his comfort zone off Spain. And maybe he might be happy to go to France. It seems that, you know, he has no interest in coming into England at that point. Whether we've approached him and tried to talk to him or not, I don't know. Whether the club are still maybe trying to do that because he is somebody who's available. That's the difference to somebody like Ten Hag, Pochettino. They're in jobs at the moment and doing okay. And, you know, clubs aren't going to let them go easily. Whereas uh, Zinedine Zidane is obviously not doing anything at the moment. Uh, so which is why he talks up a lot. The other one, like I said that we keep getting linked with and it annoys me every time I see the link because I hope we don't go anywhere near this and I'm hoping it's just media talk but yeah Brendan Rodgers is still constantly linked to us was even talked to and asked this question in his press conference the other day and actually gave quite a respectful and good answer I thought just saying look you know there's another manager in a job it's not something I want to be talking about but yeah I don't want him I have to say most of that is to do with irrational uh, ex-scouse kind of links and the fact that you know he was directly rided a lot in his time at Liverpool but at the same time you know even just on a CV he did 
ultimately fail at a big club in Liverpool. And that was even when they were doing pretty well and running away with number one and ended up uh, number two. Um, he's doing a good job at Leicester. I mean, not to annoy you, Jamie, but I don't put a huge amount of value in winning lots of cups in Scotland. And especially, didn't he win all that stuff when Rangers were down in like division whatever as well? Not all of it. And that's where I will stick up from because I see that all the time. People saying, uh, nothing was happening in Scotland. I, no, I don't put much, like people saying they don't put too much stock in the fact they won loads and loads of trophies. While that's true because Rangers was like, when he first got the job, Rangers were still in the championship, had just got promoted, I think, in his second season. And then in his third season, that's when I think Gerard came in and took over. And I've seen it on the red calf as well, people saying Gerard ran Rodgers out of Scotland, which just blatantly wasn't true because what Rodgers done at Celtic was build a team that won back-to-back trebles. He had them on the verge of a treble of trebles because he won the League Cup. They were miles clear at the top of the league when he left. Lennon came in, took over, and then they ended up winning another treble. Well, that may not sound like much. That's literally never happened in Scotland. Yeah, but so wait, even but wait, at the that time was when... while Rangers were down, right? No, that's what I'm saying. The first one was. Yeah. The second one wasn't, and the third one wasn't. Yeah, but it's when so Rangers only is... just come back into the Premier League after being yeah, out for years more, and but, years but is, and years. No, but what I'm saying, yeah, but what I'm saying is, there's more teams than just Rangers in Scotland. There's still a knockout competition that you need to win. 10 games to go and win two domestic trophies. Totally, Jamie. And so I'm not going to sit here mean, I'm not going to sit here and have Nick smirking at Scotland because this is not... No, this no is I'm not, not even, I'm not even <laughs> smirking know, at Scotland but I'm actually smirking at that particular point where Rangers were nowhere. I think it's worth even yeah, but, less but than that, like, you know, most of the but time. But that only applies... No, no, no. That, that only applies to the league. Last season, St. Johnson won both domestic trophies. So for Steven Gerrard getting lauded for going and winning, like winning the league last year, St Johnson yeah. won both domestic trophies. So the point I'm, the only point I'm trying to make is, for people not taking that achievement seriously, I just think it's a bit ludicrous considering within that he literally went a domestic season unbeaten. All right, anyway, Jamie, to be honest, I'm getting a bit trip. sick of your so, uh, Rogers loving yeah. over here, so I'm going to cut you off over there because I don't like hearing the one thing. The one thing, the one thing I say about Rogers, just to put a point on him, because I think, I think this he is the right. fact of the matter is, I think he would do it. Right. I don't think he's a Manchester United manager, but he also promoted Swansea out of the Championship, first manager to ever take a Welsh team out of the Championship, I believe, on promotion, if I'm not mistaken, and also won the FA Cup of Leicester, and went completely undefeated for a season amongst two trebles, two and a half, really, treble seasons in Scotland. His CV is unbelievable. It's miles better than Ole's. It's definitely deserving of a good job, but he has a inability to finish strong seemingly that seems to happen a lot yeah. in the Premier League he has a bit of a silliness about him where people think he's a bit David Brent he got the teeth done he was a bit silly at Liverpool all that kind of stuff and we just I think we have to aim a wee bit higher I think he's a really 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 good coach and in many ways for this United team I think he would be very good for us because you know he builds teams that play good football and are structurally very sound you know I, I really think he's been limited by means mostly during his career but I don't want him as a United manager but I do think there's a real lack of respect that's put on his name, particularly by United fans when he's brought up, because it's different between not wanting someone because he used to manage Liverpool or because you think he's a bit of a dope. But with like the facts on the paper, he's more qualified than quite a lot of the managers that we, we would probably consider. Like obviously not the Zidane's, possibly not the Ten Hags, but you know quite a number of managers, including our just recently sacked manager. 
No, look, Rogers has done a good job at Leicester and whatever, but yeah, as I said, I don't want him anywhere near the. I club. wouldn't take him. I, I wouldn't take him just for the point that Colm's made more than anything. The fact I'd rather Graham Potter. If we were taking role, a player, if we were taking a manager from yeah. the league and we couldn't have Klopp or Guardiola or Tuchel, um, I would our Conte, um, I would take Graham Potter personally. I wouldn't take Rogers just because the the top four things are the thing for me. Two years in a row, he should have finished in the top four and didn't. He's, yeah. he's fell away and I think at times he's got a bit of the same problem that Ollie had where he's loyal to certain players rushes guys back from injury you only need to look at the likes of Madison and Vardy sometimes they come back in a little bit too early from injuries and I just think he would be more of the same I think he is a good manager but I agree I don't think he should be Man United manager just because ultimately it doesn't take us where we are aspiring to be so now we have got rid of Ollie in terms of we knew it wasn't up to the required standard, we've decided to move on. We now should be looking at the most elite possible options, and that's where if it's Poch, fine, wait until the summer, but but don't fart around for want of a better term with just sticking with Carrick until then go and get a good interim because as much as the season might be a write-off if you just stick with an interim like that. I think they'll go and get a good interim. It's not easy to get an interim yeah, manager. I think that, I, that's the problem. Like it's people say like Ralph Ragnick and all the rest of yeah, that. Yeah, I appreciate in for that. Six I months, appreciate like, that. It's very difficult. Very few clubs do it. I know Chelsea have and people talk about hitting came in, you know, now and again just to like steer the ship for a while, but very few clubs manage to get in an interim manager for like, and when they do, it tends to be somebody promoted from within. Uh, you know, you saw Tottenham had, uh, what was it, Ryan Mason did a few months. I think Everton had Duncan Ferguson. It always tends to be somebody who just oversees from within. It's pretty rare that any club brings in an interim manager for like just part of the season, especially a big club. It very rarely happens. And then, yeah, as I say, people will always mention that Chelsea did it a couple of times. Times. But yeah, names do get thrown out there. I know there's uh, Ralph Rangnick, as you mentioned, who I think is doing something or another in uh, Moscow at the moment, but hasn't actually managed anywhere for a while. Lauren Blanc's name I saw thrown out today, who has done a lot of good work in the past, but has pretty much been off the managerial uh, merry-go-round on, for nearly on, on, on five years a... now. On account of being a big massive racist, so no thank you there. Personally. I was going to say he's he's he said a few kind of Ugh. dodgy things yeah, well, to I would say, say more the than dodgy. Least. You know, I don't think there's any really yeah, great light you can point uh, on those comments. So he's uh, he's out for me as far as I'm concerned. And then yeah, that's yeah, it. You know, who can you get in who would come in for like these kind of few months? Uh, but let's see. You know, when when the club appointed Ole after Jose, it was absolutely out the blue. It was a shock. So you know, let's see if they can go and pull out someone. What do you think from we somewhere. might get there? Kyle Poborski or uh, what do you reckon? Ronnie Ronnie Johnson or well, what do you uh, think? Chelsea. I don't know. Steve Henning, Bruce is available. Mark Hughes is Henning available. Berg, would he would he do a few months for us? <laughs> As I say, you know, if sounds good on paper, getting somebody good that for the rest of the season, but in reality, it rarely happens. And that's why the bookies have got Carrick as favourite to kind of continue for quite a few months. I mean, still, people say, oh, my number one choice is also Ten Hag. And people say, look, he's not going to leave Ajax at the moment. I don't know. I, like you said before, Jamie, uh, people at Rangers, I personally thought they were deluded to think that Gerard wouldn't leave there because I thought the first half-decent Premier League job he got, he was going to leave. But there was something he could have stayed for. It's a similar kind of story that people say 
Ten Hag will not leave in the middle of the season. And that could well be true. He's done a lot of good things at Ajax. He might not want to leave them in the lurch. But, you know, we are Manchester United. We should be turning up and, you know, we have a good relationship with that club and saying, look, how much money do you want? You know, if this is the man bringing him now, uh, why should we, like you say, write off a season? And our season is nowhere near a write-off. As bad as we've been, we're currently still only, I think, six points off top four. We're top of our Champions League group. The FA Cup <laughs> hasn't even started yet. So, yeah, there's yeah. no way that this travel? season is a right off. Yeah, 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 the travel, the travel is still <laughs> The travel Get Brandon, Brandon Rodgers in, he'll win this the travel. Um, yeah, do you think if, uh, if, if Ten Hag comes during the summer or during uh, the season, then Van der Sar would write him a nice little letter like he did for Van der well, I hope, yeah, and he brings Van der Sar with him because, you know, we haven't yeah. even got onto the can of worms, which is our board who's making the decisions. And we know oh. that this is going to be a constant issue uh, in the background that can our any manager be a success with the board that's behind him. But, you know, on one side, we cannot criticise the backing now that Ole has had. Uh, the squad is good. The money that's been spent is good. All right, it's a little bit unbalanced. We should have had uh, a bit more in the midfield and the defensive side rather than up front. But money has been spent. Nobody can complain about that side of it. But, yeah, the decision-making process behind things is still an issue. And, you know, Jamie, you talked about this before. And we, like I said, talking about when this decision was made and you know i i personally don't have that much of an issue i think they've gone they should have done it after city so we're like one game later and even though it's one game later it is actually like kind of two weeks later which is the more of the issue because they had the international break but for me i don't you know people say there should be a contingency plan but you've just given a manager a three-year contract you're giving him another hundred million in the summer at what point is it acceptable to start saying, listen, we're going to throw that away and start again? And before even Leicester, we were still in the top four. So for me to people start saying, oh, the club should have been looking at other options. When you're in the top four, I just don't see that. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing about that is, by definition, contingency is planning for the thing you don't want to happen, essentially. You know, worst yeah. case scenario. So it's not it's not that you're cheating on Ole, it's not that you're subverting him, it's not that you're undermining him by doing that. And you're doing it hopefully in a very uh, respectful and, you know, reserved manner. You're not going to Ten Hag and saying, here fella, you, would you maybe want to come here next year or whatever, but you're just assessing the lay of the land, I think, is what we hope is happening. Um, and also, I would hope, again, that with John Murta, with our kind of move away from the Ed Woodward transfer fantasy land, that we are buying players and making decisions at a structural level for Manchester United, not for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, of course, by by definition, it is for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and he should have huge input. Any manager, any coaching staff, any playing staff could have input on that. But there has to be a holistic overseer structure as what's best for the club because you cannot put yourself in a position where you're spending 100, 200 million per summer and then the next guy who comes in you know, wants to rip that up. You know, you should be appointing people who fit the players you have and you should be buying players who fit the people you have in the coaching responsibilities. It should all merge together. It shouldn't be, well, we had Ole and he plays this kind of football, so we bought these players. We probably have to get rid of them now because we're going to get this guy in and he, he does stuff differently and we need these kind of players, you know. So I just don't think, I just think you can always have an eye on, on what might happen. But I do, the one point I do agree with you about that, Nick, is that football and football management is so frenetic. You know, someone can be available for a week, like Conte, and then gone. You know, Ten Hag 
might sign a contract in the summer for the next five years with Ajax and then you've laid your eggs in a basket. You know, it is so difficult. And there is an element of it that you just have to take what's in front of you and hope for the best. And I did say a few weeks ago, I'm more than happy if we go down the Chelsea model of short-term contracts for proven managers. And I wish we had done that for Conte. If we had sacked him two weeks ago, hired Conte on a 12 or 18 month contract, which I am sure he would have accepted. And then, you, you know, you don't place any kind of loyalty there you don't place any long-term future there unless it works out that way i just really think that's what we kind of need at the moment and i know it's possibly not the united dna or whatever that means or it's not you know how we've typically gone with two historic long-term great managers but that's not that's not the world we're in you know it doesn't work like that anymore it absolutely does not the contract thing is interesting as well because that doesn't just apply to to managers so if you look at like the board, so you were talking about like the board there, Nick. The only way you can describe this board is just as floundering. They just there's no rigid approach to anything. So we just kind of go from one crisis to the next, to the next, to the next, and all the board does all the time is just react to whatever's happening. I get, I have no faith at all that there's any kind of planning. See, I think that's slightly harsh, Jamie, because time, in the last three years, Ole has, you know, uh, changed know, aspects has, but, of the team yeah. and, and they have bought in a consistent but way but, and they've made but that's where I'm backroom moving away, appointments in a but consistent that's where way. I'm, but that's what I'm saying. I'm moving away from what, like, the playing side and the coaching side for a minute. I'm more on about the, the structural integrity of the club. I just, I've got no confidence at all that we've planned... To see, so we're saying there, right, about contingency planning, right? That's fair enough saying so and so might be available for a week. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to have a contingency plan that says, right, if we sack the manager, manager X is who we go and sign. What I'm saying is your contingency plan should be if we start off the season and are absolutely terrible for, say, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, whatever it is, and you're at a position where you think, we need to change the manager, this cannot go on. You can just calculate and say, right, so that's going to happen between October and December. So at that point, what do we do? Do we first think we're going to go and just go and if see if somebody's available, like a Tuchel, Pochettino, whoever, yeah, but Jamie, right, you go you're and talking get them, about that's best. Planning things like what's going to happen, 12 matches, yeah? So you're talking about two months, three months down the line. And you know you don't know who's going to be available in three months' time. You can't make no, that kind no, of planning. No, no, in football. But no, no. That's no, but that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, if it's not going to plan for the first three months of the season, all I'm saying is, yeah, absolutely, have a look at the lay of the land and see who you think is going to be available at that time. So as Collins just said, Conte was available. That's why I'm describing the board as floundering. Why didn't they just make the decision two weeks ago when there was a proven manager available? Because they didn't want Conte. Obviously, we don't know. Because they didn't want Conte. I agree with Colm, though. The vast majority of our fans did not want Antonio Conte to be our next manager. Even though 90% of, like I say, I know there's a lot of votes in poll, 90% of Red Cafe were already Ole out. But only like 15% of them wanted Conte in. uh, Do you think that that would change at all now? Do you think that that at all would have, if you took that? That simple now, do you think there'd be more of our fan base who would want Conte? Because I think a lot of people will have kind of like, you know, uh, not buyer's remorse, whatever the upside is, you know, to say, oh, yeah, maybe we should have went. But ultimately, I think it doesn't matter because coming back to the original point, there's just so much of this we never know. You know, we never know, Jimmy, really, why they didn't 
go for Conte. We will never well, really understand that reason. But whether, it's, saying... whether it's they don't think he's a good match for United or whatever it is, we won't know. And and actually, they could be doing all the things you're doing. They could have been ready to pull the trigger and they just did like a, you know, they sat down for their weekly meeting or whatever, did a cost-based analysis and just decided, it's just not quite, you know, they just came down on that decision. So again, whilst I agree, there's a lot of evidence that perhaps they are not particularly well-equipped at board level to do a great job for Manchester United. At the same time, there's so much of that we just simply won't know. Um, what, a, what about Ole's little... Uh, goodbye presser yeah it's you know i've not i don't think i've seen a manager do that before you know it's something very different i mean yeah I, he was almost in tears himself he almost had me in tears watching it uh, it's, uh, it's you know I, I in a way i kind of like that they've done that but in a way it is a little bit strange like um, but it just shows that how this is one of the things as i say in the summer, they've given him a three-year contract. They've invested in players he wanted to bring in, and that I, for me, because I was in, for me, I had the same opinion that I wanted to give Ole every chance to succeed, and every opportunity. And that's why, for me, it wasn't until that City game that I said, "Listen, this is just too one too far now." Uh, and I know other people were at a point earlier than that. And some people will say they, were, they never wanted Ole in the first place, which is a whole other discussion. Um, but yeah, for me, I don't necessarily disagree with the timing of this I say it's a couple of weeks too late and the thing when football it never goes nicely when you get rid of a manager it can never be done cleanly nicely it's always going to be a bit of a mess whoever does it and then all right people will say oh Chelsea Real Madrid chop and change managers all the time and yeah they're kind of used to that so that is the norm for them their club works like that. It's a normal way of working. And our club, even when it was Jose, even when it was Louis, even when it was Moyes, they gave them every, every chance to turn things around. And part of that is probably based on financial decisions where, you know, we know that maybe there was contracts where they would have to pay the manager less once Champions League qualification was out of the window. And, and you know, Jamie, like, I totally agree that I don't have a lot of faith in the decision makers on our board either. There's also this whole issue at the moment that who is it, who even is making the decisions? Because Woodward is supposed to be coming to the end of his time. Is he still in there? You know, there has been a big change within the club. And I do think as well, not just on the playing side, Jay, I do, you know, from what I've heard and reading in, that Ole has made a lot of changes in the background of how the club works, where Darren Fletcher has come in. He's trying to bring in more football people. But we, it's like Com says, we actually don't really know. What does Darren Fletcher do? What does John Murta do? Who's making decisions? Who, you know, ultimately we know the decision is made by Joel Glazer. But he doesn't really know enough about football to make this decision. So who is he getting his information from? Is he discussing it with... We know he used to discuss things with Woodward. But does info come from Murtor? Does he... I don't know. Does he talk to Alex Ferguson? We don't really know. Yeah, you know, Alex Ferguson is still a paid director of this football club. Obviously has a lot of football knowledge. We know that Fergie was very involved when Ole was bought in. Uh, So we know that he does still have some say and opinion. And, you know, if you're Joel Glazer, I think you'd be pretty crazy not to get on the phone to Alex Ferguson now and again when you're paying him a couple of million pounds a year to be a club director. So surely there's some info. And I'm sure he's talking to all sorts of different people who are probably giving him their opinions about football and where it's coming from. But as I say, I don't have that much of an issue with them giving Ole every, every chance to turn things around. And we can see that last season, 
we were poor at the start of the season and he did turn it around. And, you know, we ended up going on that run that took us to the top of the league. Uh, so I guess they were still kind of hoping for that. It is an interesting discussion about the whole contingency thing. And, you know, we've had a lot of this chat in our own WhatsApp. But as I say, I personally think you can't make these plans that much. And especially when you think, you know, we all expected that this season was going to go pretty well. At the start of the season, we all expected that. Even like one month in, things were going well. As I said, whether we were playing well or not, we won those early matches. And I think that uh, that first loss was Aston Villa, where it was the first kind of actual bad result, even if we hadn't played well. And then it was only that Leicester game that I really say that things started to unravel. And uh, that for me is the real pinpoint, that Leicester game. I remember doing the podcast with Imran after that. And I think he was already virtually like saying, listen, I can't see this turning around. And then the Liverpool game I mean, coming I, soon after. I really, I really don't think our season was ever ravelled. To unravel, to be honest, Nick, I, I think that's a very favourable view. When you look at the fact that we've gone out of the cup basically immediately, looked really dodgy in the Champions League, I know we're top of the group by some absolute stroke of luck, and it's a pretty awful group. Um, you know, and and obviously the Premier League, like I just, you know, and and you know, if we want to rose tent up this season for Ole, that's fine. And coming back to the presser, I thought it was class. It was a bit odd. Um, I thought his emotion was brilliant. I thought it was very uh, uh, brave of him to do that. And also I thought that could possibly be very uh, beneficial for the team, you know, to not sour the milk and to kind of leave a really good impression that hopefully they'll feel a bit um, indebted, Ole, for kind of taking all the flack here, you know. So I thought that was a really classy way to buy out. And also good just to show emotion when a lot of people might give him a lot of stick for that, that, you know, he's gurning up there or whatever. But I really think there's no issue with, uh, you know, crying a bit. I'm pretty sure if I was Manchester United manager, fucked it up and then got sacked, I'd probably shed a few tears as well because that'd be a bit of a bummer. Um, and he has more attachment to the club than me, I'm sure, given his history um, for us. So I thought it was class. The one thing I would say, and the bit he went on about making friends to me was so indicative of why it's all gone wrong. It was so bizarre. And it was just, again, that like, that friendship, that loyalty, that Mr. Nice Guy, which I think is an admirable, admirable quality, but not one probably that's going to be successful at the absolute sharp edge of elite football management you know and it just to me it kind of you know it sort of showed the, the limitation as well as uh his undoubted class and uh lovableness yeah no and it's like you say that's one of the best things Ole did was bringing back the kind of feeling of you know people talk about Manchester United DNA or whatever I don't like to go into that too much but just bringing back the good feeling after kind of Jose and I actually had a really interesting conversation with somebody I know who's like a he's like a doctor in studying management and managerial. And he said that like Ole is the example of what they call a good news manager. He's somebody who comes in and tells his players, you are the best. You're going to win everything. We're going to do it together. Everything is positive, positive, positive. And Ole's always been like that. And that's why he was that perfect antidote to what we'd handed out Jose, who's the absolute opposite. will slag off his players in public, feeds off negativity and fear. And maybe it's just that, you know, for a couple of years, you can get as far as you can based on morale, based on positivity, based on team spirit and based on having a lot of good players. And maybe that's just not enough to take you into like, you know, three years down the line. Some new ideas are needed, some new things to push it on to the next level. And yeah, I mean, I, I also, Jamie, agree with you that, yeah, Carrick is obviously part of the same team. There's still feeling there. There's still McKenna there. How much will change in the short term? I don't know. I think 
he has to change things up just for the sake of giving the players something to like feed off of like it's new it's something change you know we need to get that new manager bounce from somewhere that's got to be the only positive to come from it so yeah whether it's van der beek playing whether it's lingard uh you know i had lingard written down on my list to talk about because he's been in the news this week but i don't think we're going to have that much time to go into jesse lingard so that'll be one for the next show but yeah i <coughs> Carrick at the moment, I'm not really sure. And we don't know how long he's going to be there. If they do manage to find an interim manager from somewhere, it could only be like one or two matches. Uh, but yeah, look, let's wait and see if he's still here. And I think a lot will do how he does as well. I mean, if he immediately loses two matches, then they'll obviously go straight out and take anybody else to come in. Whereas if he gets a couple of good results, and in fact, what what if he gets 10 good results in a row? Are we going to talk does about... The, does he get the job then? Does <laughs> yeah. it? Rio, Rio will be on the too. telly saying, get the contract out. Uh, oh, let's sign him up. Uh, but no, yeah, we don't want to go down that road again. Um, look, as I say, look, Ten Hag would be my favourite. Uh, if anybody has not seen that kind of, you know, Ole videos and whatever, go and watch them, as I say, because this is whatever you think about him. And as Colm said earlier, there's been a lot too much negativity, too much disrespect. Should just remember that this is a Manchester United man through and through. And I doubt we will find another manager who really loves the club and wants everything to go well at this club like that again. You know, we had big managers before Jose Louis van Gaal who obviously wanted to succeed but at the end of the day they're big egos and we're all about themselves and uh you know I think we're kind of probably going to wrap this podcast up now maybe give a quick shout out to Villarreal and what we're expecting over there but um do you think he's going to change much up for that Colm I think you said that you don't I think don't, I really don't uh, I think injuries are, are an issue as well um and then Chelsea suspension I think Chelsea's the more interesting um, I don't really expect too many changes because again, there's there's quite a lot of the squad missing. I, it'd be interesting to see who's fit. I would kind of you know if Cavani's fit and all this kind of stuff. I think there could be changes in that respect. It'll be interesting. It's very hard to say because we don't you know that's the other thing is that like we kind of you get a lot of very conflicting reports about McKenna, Carrick, feeling etc. What's their role? What do they do? What do they look after? Apparently, McKenna sometimes is uh, throwing out the the most uh, you know top line. Uh, unbelievable coaching sessions and then you hear reports from players saying it's a uh, very british central and you know limited and all this kind of stuff so it's very hard to put a pin on that and ole has been effusive about them you know which is again i just think very hard to trust anything he says about anyone because he'll never say anything bad about anyone um so it'd be super interesting but i kind of i'm more interested for the chelsea game to see what he does whether it's five at the back to match there five at the back four at the back to have a go you know it's it's just so hard to say. Plus, do you just get a response out of the players? Because you always kind of get a response, you know? Um, or does the kind of caretaker who was so key a part of the coaching staff and maybe so vocal in the dressing room beforehand take over kind of limit that bounce? I'm not sure. So really, really difficult. But it's a big game. You know, that's pivotal in that group, as I say. We are top, but we're not, you know, strolling away with it by any stretch of the imagination. So it's really a, you know, it's a must-not-lose, certainly. And really, you'd want to be winning that game against Villarreal, particularly given, you know, that Europa League final, particularly now that Ole is gone without winning a trophy, is such a blot on the copybook, such a sad night, even more so in hindsight, because you know, him winning a European trophy and leaving United would be all anyone really, really wants. And it would make, I think for a lot of people, his exit so much more palatable. Um, and I'm sure for himself. And just the manner of that defeat was was so uh, limp and uh, that was a big issue, you know, for Ole as a manager, I think, um, in terms of confidence in him moving forward. Uh, and now we find ourselves in a group with them where we're kind of struggling. So you kind of want to, you know, do a bit there. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, that Europa League loss is the real killer in it all, that he doesn't at least have a trophy to his name to leave the club with. Um, you know, before we round off this show, I do want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. I've uh, got some uh, new uh, Christmas copy for all you listeners out there who get bored of the same old stuff. So, yeah, it's holiday season, and that means that there are stockings to be stuffed and elves to be cuffed. Today's sponsor's Manscaped has gone global <laughs> with the tools to guarantee you will score under the tree and the mistletoe. Manscaped is the leader in men's below-the-waist grooming, and they have served more than 4 million men worldwide. If my maths is correct, that's almost 8 million balls. So get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code united hour and i can actually let you in a bit of a secret if any of our listeners were just thinking about getting on the manscaped bandwagon maybe just wait a week because i think they've got some black friday stuff coming out uh so but yeah our code united hour will get you 20 percent off anything else that's going out there anyway uh but look just to kind of round off this one uh, it's a shame you know, there's been a lot of criticism of Ole, and I think a lot of it is deserved. As I say, you know, they still can't necessarily put our finger on exactly one reason where things have gone wrong. As usual, there's a whole different load of factors that have come together. But uh, I think we should kind of remember that there has been some good high points there. I mean, we remember that first run at the start where he first came in, record-breaking run, got his new contract, that night in Paris where we came back from a crazy kind of comeback and progressed over there. He still got a record number of away uh, games without losing over there. I also remember a couple of big derby wins and being at Old Trafford and just getting that great feeling of getting over Pep that couple of times. And then, yeah, as well, like, you know, this time last year we were not doing that well and ended up on a pretty crazy run that also took us to the top of the league and actually had some people around Christmas time last year dreaming that we might be able to win the league again. Ultimately, it's not gone that way. But yeah, he has also been the first manager to get us back to back Champions League finishing. Uh, since Fergie so yeah I hope we can remember those things and I think we all agree that the squad is in a good place and just we're waiting to see who comes in hopefully to realise the potential that this squad actually has Uh, I don't think we will record after Villarreal in case unless anything amazing happens but we will definitely be back after the Chelsea game next week Uh, please do hit us up on Twitter and check out our patreon we are discord will be going again while we start in the carrick kind of regime and see what happens over there but yeah i think that's all for us now i know colm's just been struggling through with a bit of the flu and just seeing how far his throat goes but you've, you've done You're well welcome. you've done well to get <laughs> nice through one, it man. i'm a professional i'm a professional uh, but yeah, I think that's it for now. And let's see how the first game or two for Carrot goes. And we'll be back after that. Good night for now. Cheerio. Night, troops. Podcast Network.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.